All right, y'all, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Uh, I hope you have felt the presence of God already in this place, um, because that's our goal. We don't want to do this without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. We want to do this with him. We want to be here to worship him, to experience him, Uh, and so that's why we're here this morning. Um, We're going to jump right into week two of this uncluttered series Last week, we introduced the idea that, uh, that we have a lot of clutter in our lives. We tend to have a lot of clutter in our lives, uh, and, and we're playing off that whole idea, that image of at Thanksgiving, we end up with a plate that's pretty cluttered, that's pretty piled on, and we don't get to taste those individual flavors of things that are actually going on. And so we're playing off that idea, and we're saying, you know what? When we look at our life, we, we have some full plates, right? We have a lot of stuff on our plates, um, and, uh, and we, might, we might do well to unclutter a little bit. And maybe Thanksgiving is a, is a time to do that. So last week we talked about a little about the idea that we often clutter our lives with stuff and obligations because, we're talking about a why, because as humans, we seek approval, right? We're looking for approval of other people. We're looking for the approval of God. We're chasing after that. Um, and what we discovered last week was that if you are in Christ, if you're born again, and that is a literal term, right? If you are born again, you've been born physically, um, and, and if you're born again, that means you've been born spiritually anew because you were dead before, but now you are made alive, you are made new in Jesus Christ. If that's true for you, then you already stand approved by God. You already stand approved as you are right now because his approval of you doesn't have anything to do with what you're doing. It is entirely based on the gift of righteousness that he has given you in the work of the cross. It's totally up to him. And if we can press into that idea that we already stand approved by God in Christ, that he, that he is proud of us as his children, then it can really begin to declutter our lives. We can really begin to let some of that stuff that clutters our lives go a little bit, um, that, that clutters our place. Because we realize that all of those things that we're doing to gain people's approval or to gain God's approval, um, they're not necessary. Those obligations that we think are obligations, aren't, we're not really obligated to. It's an opportunity to let those things go because we've been made right by him and trusting in that. That's all the approval we need in this world, right? Amen? Amen. All right, okay, all right. I can preach it again. I can do the whole thing again. I got the notes back there in the trash can somewhere if we want to do it, all right? Um, so this morning, we're going to look at it a little bit of a different angle. We're going to look at, at another aspect of clutter in our lives. And uh, to do that, I want to do a little something different. To, uh, typically, what we do is we take one passage of Scripture, we break it down, we have some supporting Scripture. Well, this morning, we've got two bigger passages, actually three, but two bigger passages of Scripture um, that we're going to look at um, this morning. And the reason for that is when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you look at the four Gospels, all right, there are four uh, uh, books, four, four whatever accounts, histories that are written by four different people. And, and so there's a little bit of a different versions. It's the same story, but there's some different versions. There's, some of the details are different. Especially when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those that are called the synoptic gospels, that means they're pretty well, they follow the same pattern. Um, there's some stories that are included, some that are not in others. Uh, but when you look at the book of John, John is kind of out there on his own, right? John uh, is kind of the artsy-fartsy guy, right? He's kind of doing his own thing. He's kind of got, he, he uses a little bit more of uh, literary devices uh, and things like that to, to kind of put his point across. Um, and so we're going to look at a story this morning that, that is in Luke, and we're going to look at a story that's in John. 
And I cannot tell you for sure that these are the same event. I can't. Uh, I tend to believe they are. They overlap. When you look at the characters that are there and you look at what's happening, it, it really seems like this might be the same thing. That, that I, and I don't know what happened, whether John had the right details and, and he put it together or whether he saw some other things happening and he decided to put these. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but we're going to read both of these scriptures. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 10, and you'll see what I mean in just a minute, all right? Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38, and it says this. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered, that's Jesus, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was settled at the Lord's feet listening to his word, but Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So here's the picture, all right? Here's the picture. Jesus is at the home of Martha, She's, he's at the home of Martha, and, he, and Martha's sister Mary is there, and Martha is running around, right? She's running around getting, getting all the stuff prepared for her guests. She, she goes to Jesus in the process of that. She goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell my sister to get up. She's not doing anything. She's not helping me. Tell her to help me do all this stuff. What is she doing? There's work to be done, right? She's just sitting there, and Jesus tells Martha, he says, listen, listen, I get that you're upset. This is like me talking to my boys. That's that's what I say. I get that you're upset, okay? I get that you're upset. You have a lot of things that you're worried about and that you're bothered with, but Mary has chosen the good part. Mary's chosen the choice thing to do, right? She's chosen the good part, and I love that. She's chosen the good stuff. So we're going to talk about the good stuff this morning, all right? But before we get into that, we're going to look at John's, what I feel like is John's version of this event. It may be totally, totally different, but you'll see how they overlap, all right? So John chapter 12, uh, we're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. Similar situation, right? Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what, he, what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always, will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So you can see some of the similarities, right? Some of the same characters, though John includes Lazarus because he also includes Lazarus being raised from the dead. But that's not in the other Gospels. But I tend to trust John because John was there, right? So he's going to know some of the details. Um, not that I don't trust the other guys. They were just getting it. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Um, but you can see some of the similarities. There's Martha, and she's at her house. She's doing the serving. Mary is again at Jesus' feet, similar location for Mary. But, but in this account, in John's account, it's not Martha who gets upset with, with Mary for her behavior. It's Judas who gets upset with Mary for, for what she is doing and for, for her actions, right? 
for the fact that she is wasting this expensive perfume on Jesus. She's pouring it all out. This is expensive stuff. She's pouring it all out on the ground, and Judas gets upset with her for that. Now, did Martha already get upset with Mary, or are we just not? I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but you can see how Mary is the, is the, the focus. Her actions are the focus of both of these accounts. People are upset with what Mary is doing, okay? They, they don't think it's right that, that she's acting in this way. Both complaints are targeted at Mary for Mary's behavior in this situation. According to Martha, she's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's not helping prepare. She's not, not busying herself and making, doing any of the work that way. And according to Ju- Judas, she is doing something that she should not be doing by wasting expensive perfume on Jesus. In both cases, Jesus defends Mary's actions. In both cases, he says, stop. What she is doing is, is the good part, right? That's what he says to Martha. What Mary has chosen is the good part. She is totally focused on me. And that's what, that's what I want to look at. I want to look at what Mary is doing in, that situa- in this situation, right? In either case, whether she's just sitting and listening to Jesus teach or whether she is wasting expensive perfume on his feet, what I notice about Mary is this. Here's the central point of this whole message, all right? Ready? Mary in both situations is totally engrossed in this moment she is totally living in the present moment that's where she is she is focused on what is happening in this house she is focused on who she is with at this moment she is present so what i'm getting at in this whole in this whole series is we talk about the an uncluttered life okay here's the point i'm making this morning an uncluttered life is a life lived in the present okay it's a life lived in the now. It's a life lived present with other people that we get to share that life with. In Luke's version, it specifically says that Martha, her, her issue was she was distracted, right? She was distracted with all of her preparations. She was getting all those things done that she thought she needed to get done in order to make this moment perfect, in order to make it just right. I mean, this is Jesus, right? Jesus has just walked off the street and into your house. If that happens, you got to get some stuff done, right? You got to clean up some stuff, right? You got to prepare some stuff for him. I mean, this is Jesus. This man just raised your brother Lazarus from the dead, literally from the dead. He was dead in the grave. Four days later, Jesus says, come on, let's go, Lazarus. Come on out of that grave, right? And you're just going to sit there. Mary, you're just going to sit there. There is food to be made, there are floors to be swept, there are dishes to be done, there are drinks to be gotten. Why are you just sitting there gawking at him? You're just sitting there. What are you doing? But that's exactly what Mary does. She sits there. She sits at Jesus' feet and she listens. She is tuned in to Jesus. She is focused on him in this moment, in the present. She's not focused on being a great host. She's not focused on making him the best meal he's ever had in his life. She's not focused on wooing her, him with her charm or, or impressing him with her, her knowledge. She is present with Jesus in this moment, and that is what is important to her. She's not distracted like Martha. She's present in the moment. Every time I think about this story with Martha, um, 
and, and, and Mary, I'm reminded of, fam- of a family friend of ours. Growing up, we used to go over to these people's house quite often. Um, and the wife in this house did all the cooking. She, she usually did all the cleaning. She, she was the one. She was the host, right? Um, and so she pre- prepared everything. Um, but when you sat down at the meal, one of two things would happen, okay? Either she sat down at the table and there was no food in front of her. There was no plate. There was no place setting for her. Or she stood by the table and was running back and forth to the kitchen waiting on people, right? Amen. <laughs> and, I, and I asked, I said, I, I asked my parents one time, I was like, what, what's up with that? Why is she doing that? And they, they said, well, number one, she thinks it's her job to be a perfect host, right? To be the host. She doesn't need to eat at this point. Or she has prepared the, the meal so perfectly, she has spent so much time preparing the perfect meal that she tasted so much along the way that she wasn't hungry anymore when it, came, when it came time to eat, right? She's eaten already. So she doesn't get to enjoy the meal with everybody else, right? She didn't get to enjoy eating with her company. She was, she was there, she was present, but she wasn't in the moment. Not right. She was in the room with everyone while they ate, but she wasn't having the same experience. It prevented her from genuinely connecting with people in the room because she was always in and out. or She was always focused on, on, on making the perfect setting, right? And when Martha complains to Jesus that Mary isn't helping make things right for, ready for everybody, Jesus says, I know you got a lot of stuff on your plate, Martha. I know you're worried about a lot of things. I know you're busy with a lot of things. But what Mary is doing right now, being present with me in this moment, this is the good part of life. She has chosen the good part, and that can't be taken away from her. I really sincerely believe that Jesus is saying being present in this moment is more important than making sure the moment is right, right? Than perfecting the moment. Because when you're trying to make sure that everything is right, it's a distraction, how many Hallmark movies, or not even Hallmark, how many major blockbuster movies, Thanksgiving holiday movies have you seen where this is the plot, right? Somebody is trying to, to make the, the vacation perfect. They're trying to make the, the meal perfect. They're trying to make the, the, this holiday scene so perfect that they miss out on the moment. They miss out on the point of, of people gathering together or experiencing the vacation together or what it, whatever it is, right? And that's what Jesus is telling Martha. He says, listen, this is the good part. Being present in the moment with the people that you're sharing it with, this is the good stuff. Don't be so distracted that you can't actually enjoy it. And then in the book of John, where where Mary is pouring out this perfume on Judas, Judas is like, come on, this is not practical. This is not a wise use of our funds. This is not good stewardship right? She is wasting all of this perfume. She is pouring it out on the ground. Sure, it's touching Jesus' feet, but then it just gets absorbed into the dirt, right? This is not practical. This is not a wise use of finances. It's a waste of money. Think about how many people we could have fed with that, with the, if we would have just sold it and, and used that money for the poor instead of pouring it on the ground. What a waste. And Jesus says, no. This is Mary living in the moment. This is Mary being present. This is Mary doing what she thinks is best with her resources on this day. She is being present with me. She is spending her resources on the good stuff. You'll always have the poor. In other words, there's always going to be opportunities to do other things, to do ministry. There's always going to be those opportunities. 
But if Mary doesn't do this now, she's not going to have another chance. This is, she is not going to be able to experience this moment ever again. You're always going to have a poor, and Jesus is not discounting the, or diminishing the fact of, of serving the poor or doing or helping the poor. He's saying those opportunities will always be there, but this moment to be present with me will not always be here for Mary. And what she is doing is not wrong. See, when we live our lives um, as cluttered uh, plates, or however you want to say it, we get distracted like Martha, and we don't have a chance to actually live life in the present moment. And that's what Jesus calls the good part. Are you missing the good part in your life? Are you distracted? Is it just not practical to enjoy life right now? So let me ask you a question. Point number two, what distracts you from living in the present? Or from actually being present in the room with people when you're sharing a time with them? What distracts you? If an uncluttered life is what we're after, and an uncluttered life means living in the present, what are the things that distract us from living in the present? Because that's the contrast that we, we see between Mary and Martha, and then also between Judas, right? That's, that's the, the, the contrast, the difference. Specifically says that Mary was distracted. She was preoccupied. What was preoccupying her? Jesus said to, Mar to Martha, he says, listen, you're worried and you're bothered by a lot of things right now. You are worried. What's one thing that, lives, that keeps us distracted from living in the moment? It's worry. Okay? It's worry. Worry keeps us from living in the present. And we got a lot of stuff to worry about if we want to be worried about it, don't we? Think about it. Think about financials. Think about politics. Think about global warming, sea level rise, population control. I mean, you can get really big with this if you want to get worried about some of this stuff, right? What about careers? What about kids? We got plenty of stuff to worry about. Living in the moment is not necessarily easy, especially if you're consumed by worry about the future. It's why Jesus taught people in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, For this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they, that they do not sow, that nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much worth much more than they? Are, and you, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They do not toil or spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothes himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See what Jesus is saying right there. He says, he's saying living in the present means trusting God's future. Living in the present means trusting God's future. Martha was distracted by her worry and by her preparations. And, and how many of us could say that exact same thing? As we think about life, how many of us are worried about what's going to come tomorrow or what's going to happen in, in a year or five years or ten years, right? Because there's work to be done. How am I going to get all this accomplished? How am I going to meet my 5, 10, 15, 20, 30-year goals? Because the reality of us, most of us in this room, are not worried about our next meal. Now, some of us might be. 
But most of us, it's, it's not the immediate thing that worries us. It's, it's what's, what's on down the road, right? How am I, I going to pay for my kid's college? How am I going to retire? Is that even an option for me, right? How am I going to raise my kids to know Jesus? How am I going to keep taking care? How am I going to get to the point of taking care of my parents when, when they get to that point? How are we going to do that? How am I going to meet that deadline when my boss is hanging that thing over my head? Students, how am I going to finish this project when my, my teacher just keeps assigning all this junk? And I've got no time for it. Plus, I've got practice. And I've got games. And I've got band. And I've got choir or chorale or whatever you want to call it. I've got all these things. How am I going to do this? We worry. We worry. We worry. All this stuff is a constant flow through our mind of stuff to be done. And when we dwell on that stuff constantly, when we worry about that stuff, it costs us our ability to live in the present moment. There have been so many times when we, as a family, have been sitting around the, the dinner table, and at the end of the, the, the meal, Julia will look over me, and she'll ask me something like, where are you? <laughs> where are you? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm right here. No, no. Where are you? You're in your head. You're doing something. You're thinking about something. You're processing something. You're worried about something. Where are you? Right? Because I'm sitting at the dinner table. I'm there, but I'm not really there. I'm not I'm not experiencing that moment. I'm in my head thinking about stuff. I'm worrying about stuff. Uh, I'm not really present. I haven't contributed to the conversation. I've missed the details of my kids' days. That's a cluttered life. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, he, he, isn't, saying, he isn't saying don't think about the future or don't, don't be ready or don't plan for it. He's saying don't worry about it. There is a big difference between thinking and worrying. And the difference is trusting God's future. And reading for this message, I, I came across a term that I'd never read before. Um, it's called future tripping. Okay, I'm a future tripper. I do it a lot. Future tripping is this idea where we spend time in our heads planning for all of the possible scenarios that might happen. Right? It's where we, we play out all these things that, well, if this person uh, uh, receives something this way, then, then I'm going to say this, and, and then we'll have to do this, and then I'm going to have to apologize because I did something I shouldn't, right? It's this, this future tripping, right? We're thinking about all these possible scenarios. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Incidentally, I, I didn't write this, but I, I tell my boys there's no what ifs in our house, and then they throw that back at me, right? Um, what if? Because we spend all this time processing these what ifs laying out all these possible scenarios that we think might happen and 95 percent of them never happen right it's wasted time because those things never happen james chapter 4 in verse 13 he says come now you you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city we'll spend a year here and engage in business and we'll make a profit yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away Listen, we can make plans. We can make plans, but trusting in God's future means letting go of the worry and living in today. Because most of the times you spend worrying about, or most of the things that you spend time worrying about don't ever happen. They don't ever come to pass. And if they do, what has your worrying done to change it? Nothing, right? Worry clutters our lives because worrying keeps you from being present in this day with the people in your life. You can't focus on both the present and the people in front of you while you're also worrying about that other stuff that's going to happen. 
Worry clutters our lives. We're still on point number two, by the way. Worry clutters our lives. A second thing that distracts us from, from, uh, from being able to live in the present is FOMO. I can't, I can't say it without making a weird face. FOMO, right? FOMO. Fear of missing out. FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. It distracts us. It's a real thing. I don't know if it's always been a real thing, but it is certainly a real thing in our culture today. Last week, I said that I've almost completely removed myself from social media. Almost. And my wife would probably say, uh, you're not very close to actually removing yourself from social media. Because I still find myself scrolling, right? I might not be posting. I might not be commenting. I might not be liking. But I'm still scrolling. I'm still looking at all the things that other people are posting um, in that way, right? Here's the problem with that. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything when I'm connected and when I'm fully present in the moment. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything when I'm having a Nerf war with my boys or when I'm stomping in a game of Uno, right? I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I don't feel like I'm missing anything when I'm sitting with my wife on, a, on the couch having a cup of coffee, having a good conversation. I don't feel like I'm missing anything. But all of a sudden, when I start to scroll, when I see other things that other people are getting to do and other people are experiencing, I start to get a little dissatisfied with my own life because... Oh, man, I could have been doing that. Why don't I get to do that? How come they get to go on crazy trips? Why don't I ever get those opportunities? And we get a little bit dissatisfied. We get sucked into that mentality that, man, my life isn't enough because I could be doing all this other stuff that all these other people are posting. Right? I have to know what other people are doing in their lives, even if they live across the country and it has no bearing on mine. Right? makes no difference in my life. It's a fear of missing out, and it clutters our lives. See, being afraid of, uh, that, that, that we're missing out on something, if we're afraid that we're missing out on something greater, that means we're already disconnected from the present. We're already missing out on the present because we're dissatisfied with, we're ex with what we're experiencing. We're, if, if we're constantly looking for a better opportunity, if we're constantly looking and feeling like there might be a better opportunity out there, then we're missing out on what we are actually, what is actually sitting right in front of us. Believing that there could be something greater that we could be doing in this moment creates dissatisfaction with whatever we're experiencing right now. That's the real problem with, fear, with a fear of missing out and constantly looking for a better opportunity because it means you're never really fully in the moment enough to enjoy what's right in front of you. There are moments that are genuinely special, like Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, where she is focused on him in that moment, where she's not worried about getting supper ready on time, or in the other account, she's not worried about pouring perfume on him because that's what she wants to do. That's what she wants to do with her resources in the moment. Those are the kind of moments that we miss out on when we think something better might come along. Those are the kind of moments we miss when we're trying to find something better to do or we think we might be missing out. A fear of, see, a fear of missing out kind of by its nature makes you actually miss out because you're too distracted by looking at something else or looking for something else rather than really living in the moment that you can experience because it's present and right in front of you. So fear of missing out. Worry, fear of missing out. And then the third thing that I see in these scriptures that keeps us from living in the present moment, believe it or not, here's that word again. You ready? It's religion. <laughs> it's religion. 
How can, how can that keep us from living? Here, you ready? Here it is. Let me show you. Judas's response to Mary, to what Mary is doing in that situation, is 100% about religion. It's all about religion. This was an intense moment for Mary. She is pouring out this perfume, this bottle of perfume that Judas says we could have sold for 300 denarii. 300. Do you know how much 300 denarii is? That's a year's wages. Put that forward to today. The average income in, in uh, Frankfort, Kentucky, for an individual is $45,000. She's pouring out $45,000 on Jesus' feet and soaking up into the ground. You see why Judas is a little bit stressed? Like, what could we have? We could have built a new church and a half, right, with $45,000. That's not practical. Don't pour that out on the ground. What are you doing, Mary? Come on. This is an intense moment for Mary, an intense moment. She was pouring a year's salary on the ground, wiping a man's feet with her hair. That's uncomfortable. That's awkward. Right? It's gross. Mary, what are you doing? Get up. What are you doing? This is not right. His feet? Really? Think about what we could have used that perfume for. That could have, been, that could have funded the homeless ministry for a year. If you would have just sold it instead of wasting it on Jesus. Religion is about putting on the right face. Religion is all about appearances. And Judas was all about appearances in this case. You see it? He wasn't really caring about the poor, but he wanted to make it look like he was. Mary wasn't concerned with appearances. She was invested in this moment with Jesus. Yes, Jesus is God. Jesus is there. He's, he's God with skin on. He's in the flesh. So she's worshiping. She's pouring this out on him. And I'm not saying pour, go find a stranger off the street, invite him into your house and, and, and throw $45,000 at him. I'm not saying that. I'm saying she was fully invested in this moment and she didn't care what it was going to cost her to be present with Jesus, to have this intimate in interaction that she would never have another chance to have. She didn't care what else this perfume could have been used for. This was her resource that God had given her, and she wanted it to be used in this present moment with Jesus. She didn't care how it looked to be bought in and to be fully present. Religion is about putting on the right face, keeping up the right appearances, saying and doing the right thing at the right time that you're supposed to do. But this was not normal. Religion says that's not appropriate. Mary said, I don't care. She was worshiping. She was living in this moment with her Jesus. Religion is practical, right? Mary, Mary should have been doing what women were expected to do in that situation. She should know her place. This, this, she should be helping Martha in the kitchen. She shouldn't be sitting at Jesus' feet, right? Mary didn't care. She wanted to be with Jesus, living in the present because of who she knew she was and who she knew, or, and, and, and the fact that she knew she would probably never get this opportunity again to sit this close and talk with this man how many times do we miss out on opportunities to be with people that we will never get the chance again because we're worried about keeping up religious appearances and we're doing what other people think that we should be doing can you sit and talk with somebody who has a foul mouth who can't open their mouth without cursing oh i can't be around that I can't be around that. What do those other Christians say if they knew I was spending time with this person? Jesus hung out with them. What about someone who says they know Jesus but doesn't act like it? 
Can you spend time getting to know them? Can you get over your religious tendencies that make you want to run in the opposite direction and see that maybe, maybe they really are saved and maybe they are actually made new because of what Jesus did in them. They just don't know how to live that yet. Religion is about appearances. And see, it's not that helping Martha for Mary, it's not that helping Martha would have been wrong or that selling that perfume and giving the money to the poor would have, wouldn't have been helpful or would have been wrong. But for Mary to have done those things, she would have missed out on this incredible life moment. The clutter of religion would have kept her from experiencing that thing on her plate. And as a church, there is a really interesting point here for us to get a hold of. The word that Luke uses to describe what Martha is doing, her preparations, all right? Her preparations. Usually I, I take that word like she's preparing things, right? She's just busying herself in the kitchen. She's, making, she's taking care of things. She's making it look nice, all that. But when you look at that word, that Greek word, diakonia, I think I'm saying it right, is translated in most other places as ministry. As ministry, mission, or service, right? Martha is missing in this moment, in this light, in her life, and this opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet and be present with Jesus because of her ministry. She's too busy with ministry to be in the moment. And I think that our times, so many times for us with our tendency towards religion keeps us from enjoying being present with imperfect people in the moment. We want to do the ministry because we think we have to. We want to serve because it's what we think we should do. But in the midst of that ministry, we don't actually sit down and get to interact with people in a genuine way. We don't actually get to know them. We don't actually care about them. It's so easy to get wrapped up in this idea that I want to do ministry to you to, that, that we miss. I actually want to be with you and get to know you. We're going to go out today. We got these bags right here, right? We're going to go out and we're going to do this ministry, okay? We're going to do this thing because it's a goal that I have for this church, grace, family, mission. We're going to go out and we're going to do the mission together. We're going to serve our community together. But it's not because we have to. And I really sincerely pray that we actually get to go out and have real conversations with people. Not to do ministry to them or to pray at them, but to share a moment with them in their lives and in our lives with these people. That's what I want from this or any other outreach that we do as a church. We aren't going to do programs uh, because that's what churches should do. We want to build genuine relationships with people, and we want people to, 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 to think, huh, maybe there is somebody that cares, right? Maybe there is somebody out there who actually cares, we're not going to do programs just because that's what churches do. We want to build genuine relationships with people, including relationships among ourselves as we serve together. And that only happens when we get over our religiousness and we're present in the moment. My last point this morning, is it's really simple, and I don't really have a good way to say it. Um, so I'll say it this way. Can you trust God enough to live in the present? Can you trust God enough to live in the present? Because that's really what it boils down to. Can you trust God enough to be able to live in the present? Put that question in any one of those three things that we just talked about this morning. Everything that prevents us from living an uncluttered life and living in the present. Put that question to it. Can you trust God enough to live 
in the present. Worry. Think about all the things you worry about. Think about all the stuff you worry about. Do you believe, like Matthew 6 says, that if you trust his righteousness that he has given you as a believer, as a born-again person, do you believe that if you seek after his righteousness that he has given you, that all that other stuff will be given to you? That all that other stuff will be added, will be given, will be provided? Do you really believe that he knows what you need enough to let go of the worry, to let go of that as something that prevents you from being present? Can you trust God enough to let go of your worry? What about fear of missing out? Can you trust God to believe that he has made you new? That this life that you're living is just the beginning of the eternal life that you have as an inheritance as his child? Man, that blows away anything that you think you might possibly be missing out on. It does. It trumps it all. It can't even compare. And by believing that to be true, you can stop wishing that you got to do all of these other experiences or all these other things and actually experience the things that are in your life right now. Can you trust God enough to let go of your fear of missing out? Can you trust, what about religion? Can you trust God enough to let go of religion? Can you trust that your father is proud of you as his child right now and stop reaching for approval based on anything you do. And in doing so, you will free up your life and actually enjoy it. Actually be present with people and enjoy people even when they're not quite perfect. Can you do that? Can you trust God enough for that? Here's what will happen if you do. Here's what will happen if you do this. If you trust God enough not to worry about the future because you're trusting his future... Well-intentioned, usually Christian people will look at you and they will say, you're being lazy, you're being irresponsible. But the reality is you're free to enjoy life and to take whatever challenge comes your way as a real opportunity for God to show you his goodness. If you trust God enough to live in the moment and not have to know what everyone else is doing all the time, well-intentioned Christian people will say to you, well, you're just disconnected. You're withdrawing from the rest of the world. But in the reality, you're actually connecting deeper with people because you aren't bothered and you aren't distracted with everything else that you can't do anyway. And now you have time to truly connect with people. If you trust God enough to leave religion behind, to believe that he is proud of you without having to do all that stuff, well-intentioned Christian people will say, you're selfish. You're wasting your stuff. You're wasting your life and your resources. Look what you could have done with that. But the reality is there will be so many opportunities to genuinely connect with people and love people who need love because you have actually allowed yourself to be loved. God wants that life for you. I know he does. Because it's not a full and abundant life that is based on how many resources you have or how well you perform it's a full and abundant life because you're actually living it. You're actually living life. Even when it's not perfect, even with all the ups and downs, you're actually free to experience and to live life. That's the good part. That's the good part. That's what Jesus said. He said, this is the good stuff. To be able to live free of all those things, to be able to live in this moment, Mary's doing what's right. Can you stand up to your feet?
We've got prayer team people at the back. They'll have a lanyard on. And we want to, we want, I don't know where you are with all this. I know that God works in, in my life and in my heart before I ever get to share any of this stuff on a Sunday morning. So when I'm coming in here worried, Julia can attest to it, Friday night wasn't a great night for me. <laughs> right? Friday wasn't a great night because I'm starting to worry about stuff. We're going to pay double rent if we don't get in this thing by January. What are we going to do? Is everybody on board? Have I done enough? All this stuff, right? All this stuff, and it's crowding out my life. So I have to learn all this stuff before I get up here. Can we pray with you about any of this stuff? Can we pray with you that you will be able to let go of worry, that you will be able to let go of, of, of an anxiety or a fear of missing out? Can we pray with you that you would be able to let go of religion and the safety net that we think it provides for us, but it's not a safety net. It's a net that captures us and holds us back. It keeps us from living in the freedom that he's actually given to us to be present, to really have relationships with people can I trust God enough to have done enough in me and for me that I can be me in life as me? Can we trust God enough for that? That's what I want for every single person in here. I know what it is to miss out on all of those things because of, because of all these reasons, but I can also tell you what it is to live free of those things because I'm experiencing it more and more and actually being able to live my life in the moment present with people, not care about what other people think I should be doing or I shouldn't be doing, even as a pastor. I get to live life free as a pastor, actually caring for people, not doing what other churches say I should be doing. So I want that freedom for you. If you want to pray about that, if you want to pray about anything else, if you have a physical ailment, if you have some stress happening in your life right now, if you have uh, career worries, if you have school worries, whatever, we got people in the back. They've got a lanyard on. They want to pray with you. Um, use this next uh, couple of songs as an opportunity for that, or let's, let's just get worship, all right?